Tell Me a Story. I'm so glad you're here. We are in part three of a series called Tell Me a Story, where we are taking a look at, to me, what are the greatest stories ever told? Because again, there's certain stories that, that are just kind of funny stories or the stories that, that you, you think about in life that maybe they teach a little moral truth. Like remember the story of, of the kid who cried wolf? You know, that's one of those stories that just kind of sticks with you and it tells you and reminds you to what? Well, just don't cry wolf. But anyway, because you don't want to get eaten one day because no one comes to help you. And so there's these moral stories, but Jesus' stories were a little bit different than just these stories that told moral truths. Many times they did have moral truths in them, but they had these kingdom truths to them. Because when you looked at these parables, they're, they're different than allegories or myths or fables. They're totally different. Parables are in a category all of themselves. Because how many notice they don't use like, you know, the frog said to the bull and, you know, the scorpion jumped on the... You know, it, it doesn't do that. It, it, it has to do with the real people engaging in real things... And they tell this story and really what God is trying to do is paint a picture for you so that you know how to see God. And not only just so you know how to see God, but also how do I see myself and how do I see God in me in this thing called the kingdom and how does that all work? That's why Jesus would usually start his parables with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like he is trying to help you connect. So the word parable, here's the real deal. The word parable comes from a Greek word meaning to set one thing beside another. Does that make sense? And he was saying this. This is what the kingdom is like. And then now this is what your life is like. And when you put them side by side, this is what you ought to do. And so when we read these parables, we're always trying to figure out, okay, well, in this story, who's God and who's me and who do I not want to be? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl. I don't want to be like those people. I want to be more like this. And in light of all of that, what should I do? Because the main point of Jesus' stories were to bring people to this challenging kind of decision. That at the end of the story, you would have to decide internally, who am I and what will I do? What will I be in light of this grand story? So we've looked at some stories. So the first one was the story about a farmer who sows seed into four different kinds of soil. And it's really about God. And what his desire is this, is God wants to plant his word in your heart and then it produce greatness inside of you. That's who God is. That's who our hearts are. That's what God wants to accomplish in us. And so you see these stories. And so today we will look at a story that's, that's not all that confusing. If you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn straight there with me to Matthew chapter 20. This is the story that we typically refer to as the workers in the vineyard. Anybody ever there's a story? This is not one of the more famous ones, but I'm telling you, this one is huge. This one is powerful. So here's what I want to do. I want to read the story. And as I read it, I'm going to occasionally point to a word. And I want you to say that word, because what you're going to do is you're going to see a theme repeated through the story that you're going to pick up on after I tell you to say a couple words. And then what you're going to find is Jesus unwraps one big, huge idea and what that means for you and me. Are you ready? Let's go. Matthew, here we go. For the kingdom of heaven is like... And this time it's not, remember last week it was a king who threw a great feast and invited you in. This one's a little bit different. The kingdom of heaven, this story, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So you got a landowner, you got workers. So he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them on his, or sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is, everybody say right. I'm going to pay you whatever's right. Let's keep going. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon. And then he did the same thing. 
About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Now, this was funny to them. They were like, this was, they would have chuckled at this one. We, not that funny to us. Because no one has hired us, they said. You got to remember, these are people that lived in an agricultural society. There was no Costco. Uh, there was no BevMo. There was no Safeway. There was no Trader Joe's. There was nothing. And so you lived hand to mouth. And during these agricultural seasons, sometimes these workers, they, their whole life and family and livelihood, it, it all went down to this agricultural society. When they had a harvest come in, you had to be a part of the harvest. And so these guys had been standing around all day hoping that somebody would pick them and take them out into the field and give them some money and some work. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last ones, then going to the first. I want you to keen on that. He chose to pay the ones that came in at the end of the day first and let the other guys come in last. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour and they said, and you have made them equal. Everybody say equal. So he's going to pay them what's right. Now they're mad because it's equal. So he said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, I'm not being, everybody say unfair. I'm not being unfair. Remember he said, we're going to do what's right. Now you're saying it's not equal. And now you're saying it's, I'm not being unfair to you. This is what the landowner said. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right? Everybody say right. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Let's pray real quick before we get into the meat of the sermon here. Dear God, we pray that you would be here with us as we walk through this text and think about these ideas, God. We pray that you would open up our heart to receive, open up our mind to think, God. Help us to engage in the story. Help us to walk out of this place different than the way we walked in. Hopefully living out the greatness that is this story, God. That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. We all said amen. amen. Now, here's the deal. How many of y'all, that totally made sense? Yeah, some of it did, some of it didn't. It's a little bit odd, but you got to remember Jesus is talking to them in their culture, and it transcends time, and we begin to pull like the ideas out of it. The big idea is this, is that God was a landowner, and he began to hire people in to go work in his vineyard. And some he hired in the morning, he said, hey, I'm going to give you a denarius. Everybody say a denarius. Now, that's simple. That's just basically what they referred to as one day's wage. The way that they gave, came up with that number is because the, the Roman Empire would pay a soldier a denarius per day. And so that became kind of a common term that they would use. And so you'll see that kind of repeated throughout the Bible. It was just one day's wage. And so he goes to the guys early in the morning and he says, hey, I'll give you a denarius. And they said, what? Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. That's a day's wage. That's, that's good. That's right. That's fair. Then the guy goes back at noon, goes back at three, goes back at 5 PM. And he says, hey, come work and I'll give you what's fair. At the end of the day, he gives them all the exact same amount of pay. Now, how many of you would be happy if you were the guys early in the morning? You worked all day in the heat. You got to know, like, this is like 
manual hard labor out in the sun all day long. Now, you agreed that it was worth a day's wage, but you got to be thinking to yourself, man, there's no way. I, I busted my tail all day long. I, he hooked them up. I mean, not the hookup. To give the guy that came to work at 5 p.m. to give him that much money, that's a hookup. This guy is awesome. This guy's going to hook us up too. And so they wait because they're at the end of the line, remember, and they get all the way. And you know what they get? The same. And they're mad. They're mad. Wouldn't you be mad? Let's just be honest. I'd be mad. I would at least be expecting. Now, now you could say he didn't have, they didn't have a right because that's what they agreed to. And there's a lawyer right there thinking, well, that's a contract right there. And so, I, I know, I know, I know. But you're hoping this guy was hooking up other people. He got to hook me up too, right? Like that's, that's, because it would be a little bit unfair. Everybody say, that's not fair. That's not fair. Now, if you have little children in your home, you hear that phrase all the time. So I got three little people in my house and, and they're 11, 8 and 5 and they run around and they argue over the remote or who's playing Marvel Lego or who's doing whatever and, and who gets this toy and who gets to go do this and who, who got shotgun. You know what I'm talking about? Do y'all still do the shotgun thing? So, so like even this morning, my, my daughter jumps in the front seat and they're like, you know, so you got to deal with fair. And don't you want life to be fair? Can I get it? Can I get a what, what? Can I? Because we have a society today that cries out with just great injustice of you don't treat these people right or those people right. And you don't pay these people the same as you pay these people. And these people are in these conditions. And we, we all are fighting because we want life to be fair. Now, I'm going to mess your world up right now. God is not fair. And some of you don't know if you like that right now. You're like, well, wait a minute. I thought God was kind and God was loving and God was good. That would have to mean that God is fair. That, I mean, that's just, that's just logic, right? God would have to be fair. Here's what I'm telling you. God is not fair. The kingdom is not fair. So the next time, this is what you get to do as a parent out there. The next time when them little bratty snot-nosed kids says something to you about, well, that's not fair. You say, that's right. And life's not fair, and neither is the kingdom either. Now go to your room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you do whatever you want. My, my point is this, is that I need you to embrace the idea that God is not fair, that the kingdom is not fair. And we all know this too, because we know the hard truth that sometimes in life, life is not what? Life's not fair. It's just not fair. We want it to be fair. I, I, it, it's idealistic that it's fair, but we need to embrace the reality that life is not fair. That'll help us grow up and be mature as people. And then also, I just need you to get this theological idea that God is not exactly fair. Let, 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 me, let me work back this. This is what this parable is really all about. Let me, let me back up and then we'll work back through this. This is what the parable is really all about. The parable is a parable about grace. Everybody say grace. Now, here's what you need to know about grace. Grace is a churchy word. We don't really know exactly what that means. So I'm going to clarify for you and make it really, really simple. Grace is the unearned and undeserved kindness of God. Other people would say it like this. It's the unmerited favor of God. So when you ever hear me talk about the grace of God, or when you ever read the Bible and read about the grace of God, what you need to know is this. It's just God's kindness towards you, his favor towards you, his, his loving kindness towards you. And guess what? You have done nothing to earn it, and you don't even deserve it. 
Like grace is hard to get your head wrapped around. Grace, because we live for the most part in a meritocracy, right? We live in a like you work, you get paid. You do this, you get this. You do this, you get this. But every once in a while in life, we have moments of favor or moments where we get hooked up or moments when things just go our way. Or in the kingdom, we have just this thing called grace that even though we didn't earn anything. And we let me talk about earn and deserve real quick here. Here's what I mean. Grace of the grace of God cannot be earned because it has no equal. I mean, he's write that down. The grace of God cannot be earned because it has no equal. Because how many know, like, you would pay something for an equal product? Or you would say, well, I gave this much time and mo- or energy, so I get this much money in return. Or however equal works. The grace of God can't be earned because the grace of God has no equal. Put it this way. What in the world makes the, 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 the God of heaven and earth, the God of the universe, the God of all things, does he ever owe you anything? No. Can you ever really do anything as a small little gnat in the universe for just a breath of time? Can you really do anything to earn the the love of the greatest being that is? Is there anything you do? So no, the grace of God has no equal. Here's another thought. The grace of God, because here's where other people get caught up in the grace of God. You need to know this. The grace of God cannot be earned and it cannot be deserved. Like, you can't deserve something because deserve means you would be good enough to get it, right? You can't be good enough to get it. So, like, as soon as you think you can be good enough for God, you've lost grace. Like, grace has disappeared. Does that make sense? Because some of you, you get so religious about God, and you're like, well, I didn't go to church today, and then I had a flat tire. God was getting me. You know, that's because... Because you, you think God's on a meritocracy. You think because you didn't do good enough that God got you with something. And so you got the God gotcha thing. Or the reverse of that. You get mad at God because you're like, you know what? I've been giving lately. I know that's new, but I've been giving lately. And I haven't gotten anything in return yet. And so, so then you're mad because you think you did something. Therefore, God owes you. You're like, but I've been to church. If you see my stellar attendance record at church, I've been giving. I serve. You remember that little old lady? I helped that little old lady the other day. I've been doing so good. You know that sin that I've been trying to overcome? I've been so good. Well, I mean, mostly good. I mean, for the most part, I had a little couple slip ups. But I mean, for the most part, I've been doing really good. And so, God, I think you owe me or I think I deserve things. See, again, grace. This is what Jesus does in this story. Is Jesus throws in the idea of grace and he puts it in the context of fairness. Isn't that what he did? And then he obliterates the whole thing because he says God is not going to be fair because you can't deserve and you can't earn God. This is why at the end of the parable says, why are you so mad that I'm so generous? This is just what you need to know. God is not fair. But but so we're back to the fairness thing. Here's what you need to know about fairness. You don't have a problem with fairness when fairness hooks you up. Does that make sense? Have you ever felt like that? Like fairness is only bad. If it is not fair to you. Isn't that true? Think about this. Let's say you're the kid that got shotgun. Have you ever as the kid that got shotgun said, you know what, mom? I just need to go ahead and put it on the record. I don't deserve to be in shotgun. My little sister, actually, it's her turn. And so I just want to get out. And 
Now, some kids will do that, but you're the exception. You're not the norm. And, and so have you ever, like, cause I remember, I remember times in my life getting hooked up, right? You ever been hooked up? Just gotten some favor, just something, somebody, friend, somebody that you know hooked you up. I remember like when Jordan was playing for the Wizards, he was making his like, you know, his final farewell tour of basketball. And he came obviously to play against the Warriors. And somebody was like, Hey, Todd, I want to give you some tickets so you can go see Jordan play in his last game and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Oh man, that's all. Do you think for once I was like, you know what? There are other people that deserve, they deserve to go see Michael play more than I deserve. Do you think I said that? You're out of your mind if you think I said that. Like I remember, I remember when like, I remember when, you know, Kobe and Shaq were still together and the Lakers were still the Lakers. And I remember somebody had like box tickets and something. They're like, Hey, do you want these? Do you think I said, you know what? I haven't been real good this week. I yelled at my wife and I kicked the dog and I, I just don't know that I, I don't know that I deserve Laker tickets. Maybe nosebleeds, but not the box. I don't deserve box. You should give those to somebody else. So, so you don't, cause you, you like it when you get hooked up, don't you? Isn't that true? You, you don't, you don't, which, which goes just to beg the question. The, the Warriors were in the playoffs and nobody offered me any tickets. <laughs> I just want to put that out there, y'all. I don't know. Be praying, okay? My, my point is this, is, is, that, is that fairness is not bad unless it's fair to you. When you get hooked up, you never complain. When you get somehow, you ever been to the DMV and seen the demonic line that goes around the building? You, you've never once gotten ushered to the front, because I did that one time. I went straight to the front of the line, walked right up, bypassed everybody, grabbed my thing, and then everybody looks at you like they want to slice you up with a knife and just cut you. And so my, my point is this. You don't get mad when, when blessing comes your way. You don't get mad when favor comes your way. You only get mad when it doesn't go your way. Like you've never gotten the promotion at work and be like, you know what? You know, he really, he really deserved that more than I did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'm going to pass. No promotion for me. I want you to give it. No. So, so think about fairness in that context. The next thing I want you to understand about fairness is this, is you actually don't want God to be fair. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not. You really don't. Because you, if, you, if you're the person that says, well, I want fairness. I want justice. I want everything to be fair. Here's the problem with crying that in the kingdom, at least, is you actually don't want God to give you what you really do deserve. I should think about that. How, how many t- when you think about all the bad things you've done as a kid, as a teenager, as a husband, as a wife, as an employee, when you think about all the things that you've done, do you really want God to give you what you really deserve? So do you really even want God to be fair? Not right now. But when my church attendance is good, that's when I want him to be fair. No, you, you really don't want... Because how many times have we made God a promise and something... It goes something like this. God, I promise I will never do this again. I promise I will always... Or we make God, uh, you know, kind of guarantees. God, if you do this for me, I will never do this again. You ever done that one before? So again, how many times have we bailed and failed on promises that we made and things that we were supposed to do and things that we guaranteed God and we negotiated the deal and we thought if God would just give us this, that we would always do this. And so here's the big idea. We don't really want God to be fair. So when you look at the parable, here's what I want you to know. The parable is not fair the way you and I define fairness, is it? 
The parable is certainly not fair the way that the workers define fairness. That's why they were mad. The kingdom of heaven is fair like the landowner sees fair. And what he says is this. He goes, I get to do whatever I want and to be degenerous as whoever I want. And so this is what God does. God creates this unbelievable thing called grace. And he says, I want to love you and bless you and forgive you and invite you into my kingdom just because. Because I like you and because I love you and because I want to. And here's the other problem we run into with grace. You ever done this? If you grew up in a church, there's some of you that are already like having a problem with you right now. No, I don't care. If you grew up in church, especially a harder version of church, you have a problem with grace. And here's why. It's because you are so fearful that if, if you start giving out grace and the preacher starts giving out grace, that that just gives everybody a license to sin. That they'll go out and just live wild and live heathenistic and do whatever they want. And there's never any consequences. That's not true either. Like this is the amazing thing about grace is that grace actually embraces the full weight of sin and then forgives anyway. This is the big idea of grace is that God gives you such kindness and love. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. He just gives it because that's who he is. That is the goodness of God just because he wants to be good. Now, here's what some of you now again, some of you are like, okay, that sounds so great. God loves me even though I'm dumb and even though I make dumb mistakes and even I'm a terrible person half the time or whatever. God loves me even when I'm good, even when I'm bad. God loves me. Okay, I get it. I get it. How does that really work though? Because it just sounds like that's churchy and then I'm going to go out and it's going to be something different when I get out there. My tire will go flat. I'm going to show you this picture in three men throughout the Bible. And here's what I want you to see. There's three men that I want to talk to you about there. Everybody say Stephen. There's this guy named Stephen in the Bible, and you'll find him in the book of Acts. And this guy is so awesome. He's the real deal. This is who you want to be your boss. This is who you want your daughter to marry. This is who you want your neighbor to be. This is like the coolest, greatest guy ever. I want to read you just real quickly about his life. The Bible says um, that, that Stephen was so great and so wonderful that they elevated him, put him in church leadership, that he was just the nicest, kindest, greatest guy, hardworking leader, godly, you name it. But, but here's the deal. When he was promoting Jesus and talking about Jesus and sharing Jesus with everybody, the religious people got mad at him the same way they got mad at Jesus. And this is what they did to him. I want you to hear this. The Bible says that that Stephen gets up and preaches like this hardcore sermon to the religious people and it drove them nuts. It made them so mad. So he lived this incredible life, this integrous, wonderful, generous, beautiful, amazing life. But he's preaching to these religious people. This is what they did. He goes, at this sermon, they, the religious people, covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. This is like, yeah, like gang style, like riot style, like bum rush somebody. They dragged him out of the city and then began to stone him. That's not what it means today, to throw rocks at him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to get to him in just a second. While they were stoning Stephen... Stephen began to pray, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. So the guy that lived the greatest life was the most amazing guy, the guy that you want to be your neighbor, you want to be your boss, you want to be your employee, the greatest guy ever. He gets up and he tells these guys about Jesus. And you know what they do for telling the Jesus story? They take him out, mob him, and then beat him to death. He he dies a martyr's life. This is the only time, because in the next couple of verses, if you read the whole story, it says that Jesus was standing. 
Now, every time in the New Testament, after Jesus leaves planet Earth, he's always sitting at the right hand of the Father. In this moment, for whatever reason, whatever Stephen did, his life, what it represented, the way he died, the life that he lived, everything, Jesus stood. What an incredible story. So how many think Stephen's awesome? Stephen gets to go to heaven. Stephen's, I mean, when Jesus stands when you die, that's a big deal. You're getting in. This is awesome. But there was a guy there. Remember? His name was Saul. Everybody say Saul. Now, you don't know Saul probably as much as you know the Paul, and we call him the Apostle Paul. Because this Saul basically was a terrible human being. He was so mean, so corrupt, he was a part of the corrupt religious system, that he was so anti the Christian and anti the Jesus movement, that he said, hey, would y'all give me permission, give, deputize me and give me the badge, I'm going to go find these guys, I'm going to hunt them down, we're going to beat them and throw them all in prison. And so that's why Saul was there. Saul was there and they laid their, their coat at his feet because basically he was the one overseeing the beating of this man to death. That's what Saul was doing. He was the religious leader consenting to, hey, beat that guy to death for being such a good guy and loving Jesus. That, that's who this is. Now, Saul was a wicked guy. Saul did a bunch of bad stuff in his young life. But we know this, that later in, in the book of Acts, Saul has an encounter with Jesus and his life is dramatically changed. Saul, they change his name to Paul. Paul then becomes what we would consider the greatest missionary that ever lived. This guy traveled the entire known world trying to set up churches and establish churches. He wrote two-thirds of what you read as your New Testament. So when you read Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians, and when you read all of that, who wrote all that? That guy did. So, so Paul is a guy who actually... He lived an, an evil life in his youth, but he redeemed it by advancing the gospel. And so we think, man, this guy is great. This guy gets into heaven, clearly. When you start writing the Bible, you get into heaven automatically, probably. And so that makes sense. One guy lives his whole life just amazing and he's awesome. Another guy, he, he's corrupt, but he redeems his life. So that makes sense that he would get to get in. Okay, the last guy. We don't even know his name. We'll just refer to him as the thief. So there's a guy, the Bible says that when Jesus was hung on a cross, that he was hung in between two criminals. Two criminals. These guys were so bad and so wicked that Rome didn't even want to put them on a boat and make them row for the rest of their life. That's how bad these guys were. And so they decided we're going to crucify these guys and put them on as a spectacle. That means that these guys lived a criminal life their entire lives and were so bad, Rome just thought, just kill them and put them on display. Let the whole world know what we do to these kind of criminals. And so this is, this is the story of these two thieves that are hanging in between Jesus on the cross. Listen to this. One of the criminals who hung there, this is Luke 23, began to hurl insults at Jesus. Now I'm just, this food for thought. If you're dying... Now is not the time to make more enemies. This guy is a fool. He hurls insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's mocking Jesus. But the other criminal, he's just criminal. I mean, not even, just criminal. Other criminal rebukes that guy and says, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are, listen to this. Again, this is the context of fairness. We are punished, everybody say justly. We are punished Justly, justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus said, and then he says, I'm sorry, then the thief or the, the criminal says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. 
So one guy lives his whole life. The perfect model Christian, perfect church attendance, tither, went on missions trips, served the poor. This is the best guy in the world. Dies for talking about Jesus. We think, man, what a great guy. Paul. I mean, he was bad early on, but I mean, look at the redemption of his life. Look at what he went to make up. He made up for all those bad things, didn't he? I mean, he really worked hard so that he could earn back all the bad stuff that he did, right? But then we have this last guy. He's a criminal. And you know what? His whole life, the criminal, even up to his last moments, the criminal, he had no chance to earn back anything, did he? He had no time left on his clock to go and get some good deeds done, to go and deserve something, to go and work for something. And Jesus, you know what he tells him? You get into. So what do you see? You see the idea of grace in the context of fairness, but it's not the fair the way you and I think about fair. It's certainly not fair that the workers, the way they thought about it. Do you know what was really going on? Is who's the only one that's getting mistreated in this whole story? It's the landowner. He's the one that gets hurt up financially more than anybody else, isn't he? He pays everybody. He pays the guys that earned it and worked for it. He pays the guy that doesn't. God was being extravagantly unfair, but really the only guy that was losing out on the fairness deal was God himself because that's what grace is. So again, the kingdom, I'll wrap it up like this. The gospel is actually the fairest system imaginable. Here's why. Everybody is invited. Everybody gets in the same way. Everybody can meet that requirement. So it's better than fair. It's grace. Didn't deserve it. Didn't earn it. Can't do anything about it. All I can do is put my faith in Jesus and accept it. And that is the story of the kingdom. That's your story, and that's my story. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. And I don't want you to live your whole life as this kind of bottled-up religious person trying to get God to like you. God already likes you. I don't want you to go out and try to earn God's love. I want you to know this. God already loves you. I don't want you to go out there and say, God, will you please, will you beg and do and plead and make deals and make bargains and make negotiations. And if you'll get me out of this, I'll do this. And if you do this, I'll never do that again. I, I just want you to know that you're a part of a different system. I had a conversation with a, uh, a young Muslim girl one time and, and she was doing kind of this college university paper. And she wanted to know and compare the different religions of the world. And she was talking mainly about Islam versus Christianity. And she was like, well, what's... What's the difference? I said, well, I'm no Islamic scholar. I don't, I don't know the ins and the absolute details, but I know a little bit about what you believe and how, how that goes about happening. And she said, what is the biggest difference? This was her question at the end of our interview that lasted for over an hour. She goes, what is the difference? What is the major key difference between Islam and Christianity? I said, well, I said, it all hinges on the person of Jesus, really. But deep, deeper than that, even beyond that, it's the idea of grace. Because you live in a system where you have to earn and work and do and go. And even then, when you stand before Allah, if he's in a bad mood, you may or may not get in. I said, we don't live in a meritocracy. It's radically different. It doesn't make any sense. It's certainly not fair the way that we think about fairness. It's the idea of grace. 
It's that God loves you just because he chose to love you. It's that God sent his son to die on a cross even though you didn't deserve it at all. And you can never earn it because it has no equal. It's just God's extravagant, unfair, weird, unreasonable, loving kindness towards you. It does not make sense. We can't even fully wrap our heads around it. You don't deserve any of it. Do you think we deserve heaven? Do we deserve blessing? Do we deserve favor? Do we deserve any? No. We just get it because God is good. Listen to the last words of the parable. We'll close here. Verse 15. He says, don't I have the right? Everybody say right. And remember, it's fairness is the way God defines fairness. He said, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own, in, uh, my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Let's pray this morning. So, Father, we pray, God, that we would be a people that don't try to live for your love. God, let us be a people that live from your love. That, God, go out living in light of the grace of God, in light of your kindness, in light of your mercy, in light of the cross. Let us live from that. Let us love passionately. Let us give generously. Let us forgive quickly, God. Let us extend mercy, God. Let us be a people of grace, a people that embody your goodness and kindness, God. Help us, God, to receive your grace and then give it away to the world around us, God. I pray that we would draw closer and closer into the story. Some of us are the people that have been working our whole lives. And let me tell you this. You are going to receive God's kindness and grace towards you. And some of you say, man, I've, I haven't been a Christian, but for a few years, I'm telling you, you're in to the kingdom and you're sitting underneath the blessing and the kindness and the favor of God. And some of you even today are like, man, I don't know that I, I, I they said barbecue would be here. And, and you're here in this Father's Day and somehow and somebody, but I'm telling you this, is that God loves you. Is that Jesus paid a price that he did not owe because you owed a debt that you could not pay. And that's grace. And if you're here today and you say, man, I'm like the person that's coming in at, at the last minute. I'm the person that's getting in late. That's okay. I'm telling you, it's better to get in now. It's better to get in while the getting's good. It's better to get into God's kindness because I'm telling you what, living your life from this point forward will be the greatest experience that you can possibly live out on this planet. And so if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I need God's love and I need God's grace and I need God's forgiveness in my life. If you're here today and you say, I need that, then I want you to kind of do something maybe a little uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you in a second here just to raise your hand and say, God, that's me this morning. That's me today. I, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I, I need God in my life. I want you to slip your hand up just between you and God so you can see, God, this is me today saying, I need you. If that's you, slip your hand up right now. God, I need your grace. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I need your favor in my life. Amen. Here's the deal. From this point forward, I just want you to begin to follow Jesus. One step at a time, one day at a time. Coming to church on Sunday, getting a Bible, starting to pray. Do it, do it. Just start, start following. You don't have to know everything. You're not going to have everything figured out. I just want you to start moving in that direction. I just want you to follow Jesus. And we're going to start with a real simple prayer. And I want you all to pray it out loud so you can kind of hear it with your own ears. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. It's not magical. It's just us talking to God. Could everybody pray this prayer with me right now? Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. I need you. I'm lost without you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I want to know you. And I want to follow you as you show me how. I believe that you love me, that you died for me, and that you rose again so that I might have life. 
Help me to know you, Lord. Give me a good gospel amen out there if you could. Amen.